You're listening to Love Stories with me, Dolly Alderton, a series in which I talk to guests about their most defining relationships, the passion, heartbreak, longing, familiarity and fondness that has formed who they are. My guest this week is the actor, director, writer and producer, Stanley Tucci. His roles have been varied, far-reaching and multi-award winning, making his names in films such as Road to Perdition, Big Night, Conspiracy, The Lovely Bones, The Devil Wears Prada and The Hunger Games. On TV, he has appeared in everything from ER to Frasier to Miami Vice to Feud, Betty and Joan. Behind the camera, he has written, directed and produced to critical acclaim. He is firmly embedded in show business and his characters are often imbued with his signature charisma and sharp sense of humour. He grew up in New York to Italian parents. Over the course of his career, he has celebrated his heritage with a love of both cooking and eating, most recently publishing a cookbook with his wife called The Tucci Table. But while food is his great passion, creating and performing TV, movies and theatre has been the only job he's ever known. No, it was always just acting. I thought about not acting and going and becoming an artist. And my dad was an art teacher and... Like a, like a painter? Or... Yeah, like a yeah. painter, a sculptor. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I was like, well, I'll make even less money. I mean, that's just stupid. So, <laughs> so I do it just for myself now. Um, but I, no, I, I've only ever done that. I mean, I had to do, at the beginning, I had to do jobs to support myself, yes, of, course. of course, but a bartender or painting apartments and mm. things like that. But being in a job for, what, 40 years, the mm. same industry for 40 years, mm. that's quite a unique experience, I think. Mm. How has your relationship with the thing, with the practice, with the industry, with acting, how has that changed as you've got older? I don't take myself as seriously as I used to. And when I was younger, I took myself too seriously. And I think I, it was damaging. It just wasn't. But I'm not saying that, that you didn't, I didn't like doing comedy or something like that. That's, but I just took, it was too, I took it too personally. I took everything too personally. You know, I just don't think you're the first actor who took everything too personally yeah. and took himself too seriously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, it, but I do see those actors who, like I see my sister-in-law, Emily, who... Um, we should say it's oh, Emily, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Yeah. You know, who is just one of those people who was just born, just born to do it. Mm. And without, I think, a, a, a lot of training. Or, but she can do anything. And she was always so relaxed about it. Emma yeah. Stone's the same way or yeah. Saoirse Ronan. They're the same way. They're so relaxed and easy with it. I remember working with Saoirse when she was like 12 or 13 or something. And oh, that was in The Lovely in Bones. In The Lovely Bones, yeah. yes. And I thought, how does she do that? Mm. I, I don't know how to do that. So easy. And I, there was a scene where I had to, obviously, they don't show it in, in the film. And Peter did it actually quite brilliantly where, you know, he gets the girl into the, into his pit or whatever it is. And he, and, you know, he starts to go for her and grabs her and he pulls her down and he tries. And I was so nervous about shooting this scene. I was so uncomfortable with it. And it must have been... Oh, it was horrible. It was a horrible. A really challenging role because for anyone not familiar with the plot, you play a, a rapist and murderer. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, Peter waited until... It was a very long shoot. And he waited till the very end when we were in New Zealand shooting 
to shoot that scene. So I had to wait like five months to mm. get to this scene. And we did it, and we did one, to, and I said to Peter, okay, we can't, we cannot do a lot of takes of this. I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't deal, I couldn't deal with it. Mm. And so anyway, so we started doing it, and we'd do a take, and then I'd go to, we'd cut, and I'd go to Sarah, and I'd go, are you all right? And she'd go, yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm do another one. I go, are you all right? She said, chill. She was totally fine. Then after the third time, she said, Stanley, I'm fine. She <laughs> goes, how are you doing? Now I think I've, I've learned from people like Sersha that I'm much more relaxed about stuff. You've been in and you've created such a diverse range of roles. Nearly everyone will have a favourite film that you featured in, not just because you're a brilliant actor, but by dint of the, of the range that you've done. Um, but there is one particular film that I'm desperate to ask you questions about, yes. that I'm sure every woman you meet wants to ask questions yes, about. Yes. Do you know which one it is? The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> <laughs> My dad this morning was like, now you must talk to him about Kenneth Branagh and Conspiracy. You mustn't talk to him about The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> That's funny. Do people often ask you about that film? It has got this enormous cult following. It's huge. It was a huge success, that film. And it's a great film. It is it's a like, great. I watched it the last perfect night. Hollywood movie. It has something for everybody, but it's really smart. It's not sort of lewd or, you know, yeah. offensive or yeah. it's not, you know, um, it's an incredible film. It's it beautifully really written. Is. It's beautifully structured. The acting is fantastic. I mean, I think Annie, Annie's role is the hardest role in the entire film because it's a reactive role. You have Emily, you have Meryl, and you have me, and we're all very sort of, you know, we're acting up a storm. And, yes. And, and she has to have this quite reactive role. It's very hard. But she carries it off beautifully. And it was, listen, it was arguably the most fun I've ever had in my life. Oh, I'm so glad making to a movie. hear that. It was so much. Oh, I met Emily doing that, and we got along really well. And I knew Meryl a bit beforehand. And then we ended up doing another movie afterward, which was really, really fun, too. But it was just David... You know, Frankel, who directed it, he just created the loveliest environment on the set. And his direction was very simple and and straightforward. And, and he trusted you. He, he trusted mm. us. Everyone has their kind of favorite line yeah. from that film. Yes. It's so sort of memeable, that, yeah. that film. Yeah. Do you have a particular scene or a particular <laughs> bit of dialogue that's your Well, favorite? I do love that stuff. I love this stuff with Emily, and you she's know, at the beginning, she's that. just extraordinary. I think when she gets hit by the car and she's sitting, and she's in her hospital bed and she's eating, it's one of the funniest scenes I've ever, ever. She's so good at it, and she's sort of crying and eating at the same time. It's really disgusting and tragic, and it's fucking funny. I mean, she really got the tone, the tone of it, what that's supposed to be. You eat carbs, for Christ's sake. Yeah, right, right. Oh, it's fantastic. And it's also, just fantastic. It, it's such a type of, it's such a type of young, ambitious woman in yeah. fashion. It's yeah. like an archetypal woman that you meet in the Condé Nast lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and Captured you see so them perfectly. perfectly. And Annie does nothing, and, yeah. and she just gets there. You just see Emily's character trying so hard. It's so painful. It's so painful. But I think at the beginning, there's a few little scenes with me and Emily in the sort of, you know, foyer there with it. 
We laughed so we laughed so hard. In fact, there is, I think, in the film still, there's a bit where you can see her laughing in the background. Really? Yeah, because we would just, you know, I would make lines up or something. And who is that sad little person? Who is that sad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right with the box, with the box. So I was good. so glad they gave me the box too. I was like, oh, I can use that box. <laughs> And David is the one who came up with those great lines, you know, gird your loins. And <laughs> there was one that we did. I did. We tried a whole bunch of different ones. One of them was just tits in, which means what? What does that mean? As though people were walking around with their tits out. It didn't make any <laughs> sense. We thought it was funny, but we couldn't keep it in the movie. But the character of Nigel, he is arch and uh, camp and mm. acerbic. And I presume gay. Did you? Was he? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that seems to be a role that you often play. Mm. How do you feel about that? You might not have any feeling about it at all, but I'm, I'm just interested that that it's um, something you're often cast in. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. I don't. If it's well written, mm. great. If it isn't, then no. But also, you just don't want to always repeat yourself. Too. Do you know what I mean? So yes. you don't want to play the camp guy, whether he's gay or not gay, again. Yes. Do you know what I mean? After a while, you're like, okay, I did it in this movie. I did it in that movie. I don't really need to do that again. Mm. I don't want to play a child molester again. A camp child molester. Now, that would be, no, that's terrible. <laughs> but do you know, you know what I mean? I don't want to, it, it, it just becomes repetitive. Mm. And the thing is, the thing about the... The Devil Wears Prada, that role in The Devil Wears Prada was that it was beautifully written. Yeah. And and I was really honored to play it because the go the goal was to make him as believable as possible. That that it cannot be a, a send up. I mean, there are certain, you know, behavioral things that are that are there in the script that you know, but you otherwise it's just insulting. Mm. And so who needs that? You know? Who needs to be insulted like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. stanley onto a story of first love mm -hmm. can you tell me who or what your first love was i think my real first love was in i was in high school and it was a a girl who was a sort of very quintessential american looking girl you know um very very pretty a sort of slightly tomboyish, um, but I just loved it. Like I was completely in love with her. And How I, old were you? I was in ninth grade, so what's that? Fifteen. And we, I remember going on this trip to. We went on a field trip to Mystic Seaport, and it was a long bus ride, a couple hours or something. And I remember sitting with her on this bus ride, and we fell in love with each other. And I remember getting home, I remember it so distinctly, getting home and just being in this euphoric state. I'd never felt this way before. It was incredible. And I think I spoke to her on the phone that night, and I remember eating dinner. Everything tasted better, everything felt better, everything was, I was just floating. Mm -hmm. and. I remember watching a movie. I watched a movie called Our Man Flint, which was like James, I don't know, it was one of those sort of tough guy movies or something from the 60s. And I was, it was the happiest I'd ever, I was so in love with her. 
And we never, we, we did, there were no, we didn't have sex. There was no. Did you kiss? Yeah, we kissed a lot. <laughs> we kissed a lot. There was a lot of there kissing. There was a huge that was, grin uh, on Stanley's face. Yeah, and that was as far as it ever went. And did you ever feel that level of pure unguarded euphoria again with love? I don't know. It sounds terrible to say, but I'm not sure I did because it was so new. It was mm. so pure. I think you only. I think you get feel it, it once. once. I do too. I agree. I don't. You can't because everything else becomes. You, you know too much, or mm. you think too much, mm. and, and you know thinking. what there is to lose, right? And right. how hard it you yeah. fall, and yeah. yeah, and then oh, does she want kids? Does she not want kids? Yeah. Does this? Does that? What about the parents? Oh. And then when you're a kid, you're like, you know, you're not even thinking about any of that. What was her name? Cece Martin. Cece. I mean, she sounds so apple pie well, American. She was it's really perfect. apple pie. Yeah. How long did it last? Maybe a year. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know why I it ruined ended? it by being overly jealous for no reason, but yeah. Too clingy. Right. Okay. I was clingy. It's really annoying. And what was that what was that heartbreak like? Well, I don't remember that as much. I remember being sad about it and, you know. Yeah, I don't really remember. And I've read about from what I can piece together from stalking you online and reading yes, about your yes. childhood and your teenage life, it seems like you would have been the most popular boy in school. Oh, God, no. But you were on all the teams and you yeah. were doing the acting stuff. It seemed like you were just great at everything. No, I didn't, I didn't feel popular. I mean, I, I just did what I did because I wanted to do it. And I do remember sitting in the, <clears throat> I guess it was senior year and, there was a big assembly and they were giving out awards. And there was a humanitarian award that was given out, which was meant that you were involved in a whole bunch of different aspects of life. Mm -hmm. you were, and I was like, oh, I bet what's his name's gonna win? You know, some, God, whatever, I don't know. And I, they gave it to me and I was completely shocked. I guess it was because I did all these different things, but I just did those things because I wanted to do them. It didn't make sense not to do them. Right. I loved playing football. I loved doing that. I was the captain or co-captain of the team, but I love. I just loved doing it. And then I did the plays, and then I was in the band playing drums. And But it was just so much fun to do mm. all that stuff mm. because school itself was... I wasn't a particularly good student. I mean... English and history, and that was about it. Everything else was disastrous. I mean, disastrous. Really? Oh, my God. Terrible. Terrible. And what about that that American high school feudal system that mm. we just don't have here mm. that fascinates me with mm. the jocks and the geeks and the all mm. that stuff? And that's what it was. Was it? Where yeah. did you fall in that, do you think? I, see, that's the thing. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, because I played football. I mean, because I captain of the team I would mm. but to me that was just it, I felt you know I don't I didn't even think about where I felt I, think that I means, just felt uncomfortable everywhere really really but, yeah I think that means you were the coolest person in school I think you're probably right <laughs> Now, there's a very big love story that I know is in your life that we have to talk about, and that is of cooking and eating. Mm -hmm. 
Where did your love of food begin? What are your kind of first memories of food in your household growing up? Well, yeah, my mom was an amazing cook. My grandmother was a great cook, my mother's mother. My father's mother had died when I was quite young, so I don't have any recollection of her. But his father used to cook, too, and my aunts cooked. Um, and those recipes are, you know, I, I make them today. Um, they're both sides of the family from Calabria. And, but they were really amazing cooks. And it wasn't that kind of heavy sort of Italian-American cooking. It was real Italian cooking. And there was a real kind of delicacy to it. So this food was just huge, going to my grandmother's on a Sunday or, you know, it was all about food. When I think about what we ate at the time, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of money. I mean, my dad was a school teacher making no money. My mom worked in the office. And yet every night you had this kind of amazing food. And my mother was very sort of progressive, too, in the sense that, you know, she was my introduction to Julia Child. I watched her watch Julia Child when I was young, and I loved watching Julia Child. But she would then make, she would make um, paella, or, and, and it, it was delicious. Mm. And she'd make, you know, crepes with chicken and bechamel or something like that. And it was a really, really wonderful way to grow up. And the lunches that I brought to school were just incredible, staggering, because I ate like a, enough for 10 men. <laughs> I was very skinny, but I could eat like, like a man. And what do you remember being on the table the most? What was the signature dish well, of pa Mrs. Pasta was, was, of course, the, a real staple, but different kinds. Of, maybe pasta with marinara, or you'd have, um, um, you'd have, my mother would make maybe pasta with shrimp or something like that. On Sunday, she would make pasta in a meat sauce, not like a bolognese, but um, like a meat-based sauce. And then she'd make meatballs, and you would eat that, you'd have that pasta and that ragu, and then you would always eat the meatballs separately. The meatballs were never put on the plate, and it was never spaghetti. It was always ziti, or so, a larger pasta yeah. for a, a thicker sauce. Um, and you ate it in this very specific way, and that meat that was also cooked in there would just sort of fall off the bone. It was absolutely delicious. That was Sunday, and then you'd have that another day of the week where you'd bring meatball sandwiches for lunch. Oh, yum. It was incredible, but mm. I would bring, like, my sandwiches, I'm not exaggerating, they were like this big. <laughs> Like a like a truck driver, or a, you know, a dock worker. And when you've got that metabolism, yeah, I was you very, made the most of it. very, very lucky. So that stuff, and you know, veal cutlets. When veal was cheap, you would have veal cutlets or chicken cutlets, breaded veal and breaded chicken. And there was always a salad. There was always a vegetable. Um, it was, it was amazing, amazing, really great way to grow up. And. You, have you written two cookbooks? Yes. Yeah, well, uh, the first cookbook was uh, is uh, I put together. So for my family. So it's my friend Johnny Scapine, who's a French-trained Italian chef, and, and my parents' recipes. Right. So that's the first one. That came out like 20 years ago. Then I we see. reissued it. We changed the title, put the Tucci cookbook on it. Yes, yeah, so that's so the that one could, that I've got. Right. And then there's the other one that I did with Felicity. Oh, no, called, that's the one that That's got, the one. The, the Tucci, Tucci table. table. Yes. Okay, uh, I love cringe. the Tucci yeah. table. Mm. 
I made the mushroom pasta with the porcini last week. It's so good. Isn't it so good? It's so good and earthy and delicious. And I'm like, in a world of no consequence, I would eat pasta for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I know. Me too. Me too. I know. I know. It's so good. We made that for Boxing Day for like 14 people. Yeah. Which was not easy. <laughs> pasta for a big group is hard. It's hard. I love but it looks so good on the table and yeah. everyone loves pasta. That's what I've realized when you have people around for dinner. They're always so happy when they see that you've made pasta. So happy. But it is hard to do for for It a big is, group especially when you're doing a, a, a dish like that. Because it has to be eaten immediately. Immediately, yeah. It can't just sort of sit like a ragu or something. You can have yes. it sit and then you can do whatever. No, it has to be instant. It's instant, like risotto. And what made you decide to do that cookbook with your wife, Felicity? Well, because I didn't think the world needed another Italian cookbook. Mm -hmm. I think when when they re when they reissued the, the first book, part of the deal was that I would do a book, another book. And... And I was thinking, what do I do, what do I do? And then I said to Fee, I said, look, why don't we just do a book together? Why don't we do what we would cook, in essence, in any given year? Yeah. And that's what it is. Some of it is for sort of high days, and some of it's for just every day. Mm. And it's a combination of her family's recipes. Her She loved her grandmother's cooking. Um, so it's a lot of that. And, and then stuff that we would you sort of discover on your own, you know, something you, when you're, on your honeymoon or something, or yeah. in your travels or restaurants that you go to, and one of them is like a Belgian, a beef Belgian stew that when I was doing a movie in Brussels, I went to this restaurant and I was like, God damn it, that's good. So I insinuate myself into the kitchen and ask the chef for the recipe. <laughs> I love <laughs> you know, that. <laughs> which I love to do. I mean, yeah. I, I love going back and going into a kitchen. and It's really exciting. Speaking of your honeymoon, I'm very excited about making the individual yes, ravioli with the egg yolk. Yeah. I'm nervous about it. It, it seems like it, it's it's only time consuming. Mm. There's nothing to be nervous about. It's actually easier than you think. Mm. It's it's just the time of it and the sort of space of it and all that stuff. Okay, I'm going to make it and report it's back. It's so good. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> I would like to ask you some nosy food questions yeah. just as a fellow gourmand. I, I'm comfortable sure. calling myself a gourmand because yes. I heard that you... gourmands are greedy and gourmets are the foodies. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm definitely a gourmand. Yes. I, yeah, I think I'm a gourmand too. <laughs> I, I know this will be But such... you love food. Love food. And, and, you love loved, and you love to cook. Love cooking. Yeah. I'm part Italian, you see. You are? Yeah. Oh. My mother's side. You're kidding. Um, this is going to be a very difficult question for you, I know. Desert island meal. One meal left. <laughs> oh, that's, my God, it's impossible. I know. It's, it's, it's like literally impossible. Um, I, it would, I'm sure it would be pasta. <laughs> it might just be, I think, maybe even just pasta with fresh tomatoes. So little cherry tomatoes and do a little bit of onion and a little garlic. And then you toss those up with you know, just olive oil there. And they break down really quickly. With on fresh, the heat or not on the heat? On the heat. On the heat. And then with fresh basil. Mm. I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, no problem. And then you <laughs> you just toss it. You know, you just toss the pasta in. I mean, it's just one of the greatest things in the world. That's in the Tucci table, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's it's so good. Because have you read um, in Heartburn, in Nora Ephron's Heartburn, mm. she has a recipe for a linguine in that, which is fresh tomato and garlic just marinated in olive oil for a morning. And then mm-hmm. you cook linguine and then drop it into the fresh tomato. So it's almost oh, like a salad linguine. Absolutely, yes. This is, um, yeah, my parents have a, used to do a thing like that too, where you just, you take the tomatoes, yeah, you marinate them, yeah. macerate them in the olive oil, garlic, and basil. That's it, yeah. Yeah, and just let them sit. Mm. You don't put the salt in because the salt will draw the water out of it. To me, it gets all watery and gross. Yeah. So you just leave it like that. Then you just, so you have the cold tomatoes. Yeah. And you put the hot pasta in. So It's so nice. good. And then sometimes if you just mix goat cheese in with it. Oh, yum. I haven't thought of that. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> it's like so good you can't stand it. But, you know, there was this recipe we went to Italy this year, and we were down in the you know Bay of Naples in that area, and we so we go to this restaurant, and the, the dishes there's the thing on the, on the menu that's just spaghetti with or spaghetti with courgette, yeah, right. But the little ones. So I said, "What is that? I, I've never, you know, it's it, it made, but it seemed I, it was it had a name, and I, I was like, what did, I'm going to try that.' I tried it, and it was a revelation, and I went back into the kitchen and I said, okay, what is that? How do you, how'd you do? She goes, come on, I'll show you. And it's basically, so you take these these courgettes, and they should only be about like that, like the size of a quarter or yeah. whatever. And you, you're gonna saute them in olive oil, no garlic, and a little bit of salt. But you're gonna do a lot of them. And you're gonna put them in a bowl, and you're gonna chop up basil really finely and then mix that in and put it in the refrigerator for a day then make your pasta take that stuff out heat it up in the pan throw the pasta in and toss it and it is one of the greatest things i've ever you have a little parmigiana or use a little bit of the pasta water to it it's incredible just fresh it's incredible, and... and I and I said, how can there not be anything? She goes, that's it. She said, it is the poorest of the poor mm. eat mm. food like this. You know, that's where this recipe comes from. I made it the other night, actually. Colin Firth came over. Oh, I love that. He was oh, a, he was a that. huge loves to eat. Well, his wife's Italian, and and I made it. I said, we had this last time you came over, and he was like, yeah, I don't care, I love it. And we did. We actually put a dollop of ricotta in it, Ooh, nice. which was nice. Oh, but even just on its dinner. own, it's absolutely, I can't describe the flavor. It doesn't really even make any sense. It would yeah. taste that good. Anyway, that sorry, I'm the, going on about no, it. No, no, I could talk about this forever. That is the beauty of real Italian cooking, isn't it? It's just mm. often so simple, just beautiful ingredients. I know. Taken just, care of. Yeah. You know, yeah. And paid attention to. And that's the thing about here, too. You can get such good ingredients here. In America, it's, it's harder. Yeah, my I find friends in America say that. The taste of things here is so much. There's so much more depth of flavor yeah. in in fruit, in veg. My friend in New York says that. The first thing really? she does when she stays with me is she, she goes to M&S or Waitrose mm. and buys tomatoes and strawberries. And, yeah. Yeah. It's distinctly different. Mm. Distinctly different. This was going to be one of my other questions. Oh, you lived in New York for most of your life until mm. you came over to London five, five years ago, is it? Mm-hmm. Is there anything about... American cuisine or American produce or food or restaurants that you miss? No. Really? No. 
There isn't. You have you have everything here, and then some. I mean, it's much more multicultural. I think. Um, no, and like we said, the ingredients are just better. You have such good restaurants here, and in your restaurants, you have a lot of sort of new young Italian immigrants. We don't have that in America anymore. I mean, when I walk around the streets of London, I, I hear Italian being spoken mm. very often. And mm. when I go into an Italian restaurant, it's not unoften that most of the people in the restaurant are Italian and, and new immigrants too. You don't get that in New York anymore. So there's a, you know, there's a veracity to the, to the cuisine yeah. here that's, that's different, that's disappearing. Yeah. Not that you have to be Italian. Do you know what I mean? To work in an Italian restaurant or whatever. No, but, but, but there is a knowledge, just simply a knowledge of yeah. it. Yeah. But it's of, also folkloric. You know, these are, these are often family recipes. These are inherited yes, yes. tastes. And, yeah. Yeah. And sorry to be self-obsessed, but please yes. do compliment us more. Um, <laughs> what is there anything that you love eating here? Is there something kind of uniquely British that you particularly love eating? Sausage rolls. Greg's? Or posh ones? No, not Greg's. <laughs> I think I had one once, and yeah, and I, I was taken straight to the hospital. I, no, I, um, yes, I have heard about the Greg's. I think I did have one once. Um, no, but sort of poshy ones, but like, not too posh. They shouldn't be too posh, otherwise they, they fuck around with them too much. Yeah, it you want like a, really... just a gastro pub sausage Yeah, roll. and it's it should be good, nice and greasy, but not too greasy, mm. where it's like gross. Mm. My wife makes... It's in the book. It's in the book. It's in that. It's in mm. the cookbook. Her sausage rolls, I have to say, are they're really good. Well, this is probably where we fall out because I'm pescatarian. You are. Yeah. What's an outrage? <laughs> uh, vegans. No, that's good. As long as you're not. No, I'm not vegan. No, don't do that. Vegans call pescatarians fish and chipocrites, <laughs> which I like. That's funny. Very funny. While we're on the subject of food, there's no way that I could speak to you without talking about my favourite role that you've played in a film written by my favourite writer, which is Paul Child, mm. husband of Julia Child, who you mentioned earlier, in Nora Ephron's Julie and Julia. So much of that marriage between Julia Child and Paul Child, it felt like it was about kind of shared passion for food mm. and culinary curiosity and adventure and uh, kind of marital... Yeah, co-adventures. That role must have just felt like for you particularly, the man that you seem to be, like your dream role when you got that script. It really was. It really was because he, he was such an interesting guy and people didn't really know about him. I mean, she was the star. Yes, and obviously I must say I, I'm referring to him there in the capacity of that film yeah. as her husband. But yeah. he, he was, as you say, in his own right, he worked for the government. And yeah, he, he was fascinating. He was an artist. He was an he was a photographer. He was an artist. He taught. He taught mechanical drawing or something. He had only one eye that functioned properly from, because of an accident he had when he was a kid. But you never knew it. He taught perspective. That's what it was. Mm. How do you teach perspective when you have like one eye? Yeah. I mean, it's like almost impossible. Yeah. Um, he worked for. He was a cultural attaché. He was a really he was a judo expert. He was he was really really interesting. Mm. He spoke French. I don't know if he spoke what else he spoke, but he was you know he was a Renaissance man, um, and he loved her. He loved her mm -hmm. more than 
anything. Yeah. And he support, as you see in the film, I mean, he supported her until the very end. It was a true love story, a real, real love story. I think particularly at a very romantic time, too. Yeah. The war is over. Yeah. You know, you're forging this new life in Europe together, a lot of it in Europe together. And then she went on to literally to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. That line, that line, you are the butter to my bread. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and the breath to my life. Yeah. I love you, darling girl. Yeah. It's it, that, that relationship, it's like one of my favourite relationships on screen. Yeah. And I read somewhere, I'm an enormous Nora Ephron fan, and I read somewhere that she said of that marriage depicted, that you depicted with Meryl Streep playing Julia Child, that it was important for, for Nora Ephron through your character to show a different kind of of husband to the one you often see on screen mm -hmm. and that she wanted to say that there are men who do exist who want to celebrate and nurture and champion and be in awe and reverence of the talents and ambitions of the of the woman they love. Mm -hmm. And I also read someone else say that that was a kind of abstract tribute to her husband, Nick. Yeah, I, I believe that. I completely believe it. He is probably the nicest man you'd ever want to meet. He's so lovely, mm. lovely. Uh, not a mean bone in his body. A real gentleman. And what was it like working with Nora Ephron? It was great. It was great. We laughed so hard. We really, really had a great time. And she, you know, she's tough. I mean, she was incredibly tough. Um, and could be, you know, sometimes mean, you know, but not, 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 not to me so much. But you could see that. You know, she had that. But she knew what she wanted. She knew exactly what she wanted. And a lot of directors don't know what they want. Um, and she was funny. I mean, we know how funny her writing is. But she really was really funny in real life. And really generous. And really generous. Um, she was fun to be with. She was really fun to be with. And she loved food. She I was loved food say, I so bet much. You ate some good food together. We did eat great food together. And but she wouldn't eat like maybe you and I eat. She'll take two bites of something and go, Oh, yeah, good, that's good. And then you just get the other she ate like a bird. Yeah. You know. I've read this and I've read that I was reading the oral history on Vanity Fair of You've Got Mail the other day. Mm -hmm. And one of the directors or someone said she what she loved was ordering yeah. a huge amount and trying a huge amount yeah. and feeding everyone else, but she herself yeah. would be a picker. She was a real picker. She weighed nothing. I mean, yeah. she was a little, you know, wisp of a thing. Mm. But she would order everything. Mm. And when we would, when we were in Paris, or when we were, when we went and did the press junket, too, that was quite fun because mm. you'd go out with her, and she'd let's have this, let's have that, let's have this. You know, it was great. And Meryl and I ate just all the time, all the time. That sounds like a fun film. It was so much fun. So much fun. And then martinis, when you rap, always. This martini thing, it keeps coming up every interview I read with you. Are you you're a martini drinker. I love them. How do you take them? It's the simplest drink in the world, really. It's, it's vodka. Do you like them There's, dirty or no, do you like them clean? No, super clean. Super clean, no vermouth. I might put, every now and again, a, a hint of scotch in it wow. to make it slightly sort of smoky, warm, yeah. and with a lemon, just lemon, 
No olive, lemon no twist. onion. No, no, I don't. Sometimes I put olives in, but I want it. I want that cleanliness. It's mm. just so beautiful, and I put, and you get the ratio right of of how how much to dilute it is the key thing. I mean, you can go to like to the Dukes, <gasps> right? And, God, do you know what? I stumbled out of there. Apparently, yeah. legally now, they're only allowed to serve you three. Really? <laughs> they're not three. allowed to serve you more. Yeah. This is Duke's. It's like famously the best martini place in London. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. And I love, again, oh, they're all Italian in there. Oh, are they? Yeah, they're all Italian. And, they, and they're really nice and they're really funny. And when you, the first time I went there, I was so excited because I love all that sort of stuff it's so beautiful you know yeah. there's sort of old elegance and, and they bring you know. it to the table yeah, and they've just, got a little car i know it's just I love beautiful the yeah. dwight jacket and the thing you know yeah. and so the, the guy just basically pours this frozen vodka directly into a glass <laughs> and i'm like aren't you gonna because I, I like them stirred not not shaken but stirred and and he goes that's it and i was like all right <laughs> and i mean I, I can hold my alcohol pretty mm. well. That was just like, it was like, oh my God. And I think I did have two, maybe even three at one, the first time I went there. And I was like, I mean, you just couldn't, you yeah, like crawling home. Yeah. You have to tell us what vodka is used in the Tucci Blunt household. I, I really like Grey Goose or Sipsmith. Sipsmith is really nice. And what time is Martini o'clock? What time is it now? (laughs) (laughs) Sally, on to a story of unrequited love. There are too many to mention because I fall in love all the time. Do you? Always have, yes. Hopeless romantic. Yes, yes, yes. And a cynic, too, at the same time. So I don't... But I don't... I remember as a kid, there was a girl in... And I went all the way up through high school with her. And I just thought she was so... Oh, no, there were two girls. (laughs) I just pictured another girl. Um, Yes. And one, particularly when I was older, too, I had such a crush on her. And she was, I knew that it was never going to happen. And we were sort of friendly, but not really. And she was way too cool. She was way too sort of hippie-ish. And I wasn't. And she ended up dating a guy who was a bit older, who was way too cool. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Smoking and was a musician and was, you know. I think they ended up getting married and having kids. And, wow. But like hippie, hippie people. Hippie people. What am I? Like, I'm, like, <laughs> where am I from? You know, they were very sort of like, you know, all that. Well, you know, now they've both got really bad hair and yeah. there are tie-dye sheets on yeah. their wall. Yeah. I heard that they were actually living in a, yeah, it wasn't a commune. No, it was No, it wasn't quite a commune. No, but it was, they were living in a place that wasn't so nice. This okay. is many, many, many years ago. Yeah. I remember hearing that. And feeling terrible because I wanted to save her. Oh, Do you know Sally. what I mean? From this ne'er-do-well. This, yeah. You know, scofflaw, <laughs> drug-addled fool. You could gallop in on horseback. I wanted to. Mm. I wanted to. But anyway, that never happened. Did you enjoy the torture of it? Were you kind of 
Probably. Mm. Yeah. Probably. It's always, you know, you have to be tortured a bit in, well, in everything, but mm-hmm. in love. To be a romantic, I think so. I think so. There was a, a friend of mine's mother said to me once, she was very, very funny, and she said, I didn't know her husband, and he had died, and she said, I loved him, but he loved me more, and that is what makes a great marriage. Oh, I've heard this time One person has to love another again. person a little bit more. Mm. I don't know. Someone said this to me the other day where I was talking about a guy who I'd been on a date with, and I said... I just think that I think that I probably am going to like him more than he likes me. Mm. And this friend of mine who's in a very happy marriage just said, no, 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 you need to be with someone who's just a little bit obsessed with you. She said that's the key. Mm. Maybe it's the yeah. key for narcissists. Yeah, it is. It would be, <laughs> yeah. I would like that. Honestly, I would like that if someone were. To be a little bit obsessed with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Felicity's not. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She's sort of. And she looks at me, you know, when you're sort of out and about, you know, you're talking at the table. Sometimes you look at her and you just think, she hates me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She's, she's so bored. And I'm telling this story again. And I always try to sort of say, and Felicity knows the story. That's one of the things I dread most about the idea of being in a very, very long-term relationship is someone rolling their eyes at yeah. my best anecdotes. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. must kill you. It kills you. It absolutely kills you. We're not laughing. Here's the thing. Uh, my wife, is she's an incredible person. She's really funny. She's way too smart. I mean, way too smart for anyone's good. And really loving, really giving. She's an incredible stepmother. I mean, she's just great. She's great. But she, when we met, she, she, I did this movie called Undercover Blues in which I play this, this Hispanic sort of really bad mugger. He's a bad thief. Mm-hmm. And he's, it's a very funny role. It's very funny. And she loved that. And it was her favorite thing. And when I met Emily, Emily made, her, made me leave a message on her machine acting as like that person. Anyway, she thought <laughs> it was the funniest thing in the world. And she always liked watching me. She always thought I was really funny. And then when we first got together, she thought I was pretty funny. She no longer thinks I'm funny. When did it wear off? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I could find the moment. What did I do? I don't know. But I, I go, you know, there are a lot of people who would be laughing right now at this. I'm just <laughs> going to say, you know, there are a lot of, I mean, that was pretty good, that joke. Or that, you know, what I'm doing right now, that's pretty good. And she just goes, stop it. Yeah. Stop it. I think it is inevitable. Is it? The other day I went to a dinner party and I was sitting next to a man who was so funny. And I think I said to him, I think you're one of the funniest people Mm. I ever met. And he looked at me so incredulously and he was like, I know, but my wife doesn't believe me. (laughs) And he was like, can you tell her that? Because I constantly am saying to her, like, I'm really funny. And as you said, like, there are people who would be paying like 20 pounds a ticket for this. What do you think built this house? You know, it's like, I don't know. It's really weird. It's really weird. But the thing is with the, if you are a hopeless romantic, I think the idea of you being with someone a little bit obsessed, a little bit sycophantic and laughing at your jokes, I don't think you'd like that. I think is a romantic. You get tired of it. You need the quest. You know, you need yeah. to, you want to seduce and you want to impress and you mm. want to win them over at all time. You know, that sounds yeah, like a lot of hard work, maybe. actually. No, it's too much. I'm too old for that. <laughs> I don't want, I just wanted, I want adoration. At this point, I just want, you know, 
here's your coffee in bed. No, I don't. But you know what I mean. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, too tired. And back to the romanticism of your of your younger life. Did you have big kind of celebrity crushes with their women posters on your yes, wall? Yes, Meryl. You're joking. No, because Meryl and I, she's about 10 years older than I am. And I remember seeing her in a play. Well, obviously I'd seen her in films, but seeing her in a play called Alice in Concert, which is about, I can't really remember, but she plays like a girl who thinks she's Alice in Wonderland or something, I can't remember. She was incredible. And and a great, great beauty. Oh, my God. So beautiful. The face was so interesting mm. because it's not classically beautiful. Mm. It's just, and it's always different. Like, it always seems to be changing every angle. And, you know, her nose is, like, mm. fantastic. Ethereal. Yeah. And so she was, for me, like, oh, my God. And then when I, I got to know her, you just love her still. You like can't help but love her, and because she talk about funny, she's really funny, um, and really smart. And that there are still moments where I'm like, I will go. God, that's Meryl Streep. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And even though you know each other so well, you know each other for been through a lot together, and you know it's really it's still. There's still a bit of a crush there, I must admit. <laughs> Does she yeah. know about, about well, it? Well, she will if she listens to this, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Did, have you ever said to her, you were my dream girl when I was younger? No, I don't think so. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. It must be so weird. It must be so weird that, that in your line of work, very realistically, you will get very close with... Yeah, the your people, fantasies. yeah, with yeah. your fantasies that you, you know, there's just that little bit of age difference. And even if you are the same age, sometimes, you know, it's, you're like, oh my God, I'm actually working with that person. Yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And was there a poster of her on your wall? Yes, there was. Really? Uh, of her and Alice in, in concert. Yeah. Yeah. I also loved Barbara Streisand too. I don't know why. You haven't worked with Barbara Streisand yet? No, no, I'm, I'm fine. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Sally, onto a story of passionate love. Mm -hmm. Yes, there was a. It was a very brief sort of, and it was. She had. We had gone to university together, and then after I graduated and she graduated, we ended up meeting each other, and I had always wanted to ask her out and she was so beautiful and we went to a play together went to see a sam shepherd play together and the theater was right across the street from my apartment conveniently and <laughs> and we went there and i remember having this i i don't know that i'd ever felt it as as strongly we were sitting next to each other in the theater and it was just Electric. Electric. And yeah. it was magnetic. And we yeah. could, uh, like, we literally couldn't wait mm. to be in each other's arms. I mean, you just couldn't wait. You couldn't wait for it. And I put it in a very polite way. Yes, but, I've, yeah. that was very elegantly yeah. Thanks. Put. Thanks very much. And we left the play. We just left. I think oh, that's we so left hot. it. I know. I think we left it in intermission or we just, like, got up and fucking left. Yeah. And then 
And it only lasted, like it lasted very briefly. I can't even remember how many times we really saw each other. It wasn't that many, but it was, it was so powerful. Yeah. It was incredibly powerful. And what was that? Is it chemical, hormonal, emitting something know. you're not even Isn't aware of? Pheromones, or yeah. is that what they're called? Yeah, I think it must be. I yeah. think, and also, I think you do only have that kind of magnetism a few times, and it doesn't surprise me. One of my questions was going to be, how long did it last? It doesn't surprise me that you said it lasted for a short amount of time. Yeah, I think it, it just burns up. It's like a flame. It's, it, yeah. it's a short period of time that you can sustain that. And it just burns right up. Mm-hmm. That's what that it was like that. Mm. And how was the talking? Was there any talking? <laughs> there was talking, and I really liked. I mean, I really liked her. I don't. I didn't feel that we had enough. I think we didn't have enough in common. Mm. Mm. But it is interesting, isn't it? How you can have these like great passionate affairs with people. Mm. That's that's not invented. That that there is this great kind of physical chemistry and connection. Yeah. And not really have a huge amount in common. No, it's I know. Weird. And the thing is, is that you played that right with her because mm. the thing is, is that can be so intoxicating. I had that once. Had it quite recently. Oh really? It can be quite intoxicating, and it can be really, really easy to convince yourself that 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 can become more spiritual or intellectual than it mm. ever will be. And the best thing that you can do is thank God you've been given that person for one month or whatever. Yeah, whatever. And then say goodbye to them. But I think it's also why people, that's also why people have affairs. Too. Yeah. I mean, you, you get married, you're with somebody, and, and sometimes it, it fades. Sometimes it's not really ever really there mm. because you've made the choice, because you've made the choice, because you know it's a, Sort of right choice yeah. to make. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, then the other person is that person with whom you have that incredibly powerful yeah. sexual connection. I mean, you know, there are stories of people who have the same lover for 40 years. Yeah. Stanley, on to your final love story, which is a story of everlasting love. Mm. They are your two wives and your children. Mm. So I'd like to talk first about your first wife, Kate. Mm-hmm. Where did you meet Kate? How old were you? Well, I met Kate when I was pretty recently out of college. She was married to a guy that I grew up with. And I thought she was really nice and cute and everything. And she was married to this guy. And then years later, they ended up getting divorced and it was his brother who sort of set us up because she had said, I really, you know, fancy him. And, and, and we met and then that was it. We went to a, a movie and then, um, yeah, that was it. And, you know, she had two children at, when I met her, young children. And then, you know, we were together for, we were together for many years. I, yeah, then she, and she got sick about almost 14 years ago. And she was sick for four years and then she passed away. And you had three children together. We had three children together, yeah. And she, I mean, she was really an amazing person. What was it about her that you were so drawn to? She was the complete opposite of me. She was, um... 
Well, she thought I was funny, which was good. <laughs> um, sometimes. <laughs> As the years went on, there was a bit of eye rolling. Um, she was, you know, she was as American as apple pie. I mean, you couldn't get more American than this person. Mm. Um, she was from the Midwest. She was incredibly sort of hearty. Yeah. She loved horses and dogs and all those things that I don't. And, um, but we shared um, a common belief in the way you raise children and and make a home and things like that. And um, she was a very, very practical person with a business mind and a, and a real sense of altruism. And she was a devoted, devoted friend to people. And she was a great mother. Mm. She was a great mother. Mm. And she was beautiful. I, she, she was so sort of, she was beautiful, physically beautiful, but also just, and she was quiet. She was painfully shy. She became less so as the years went on. But at first, I mean, you couldn't even, you could have to, it was like pulling teeth to have a conversation with her at first. But then she really was, she was great. She was great. And she kept me, she just sort of kept me aware of what was important in life. And that's the kind of person you want to be with. And how was it in those in the, those kind of months and years after Kate passed away, how was it for your family going from a, a family of five to a family of four? What was that adjustment period like? It's horrible. Mm. It's truly horrible. I mean, I still have dreams about her all the time. I'm almost finished going through all, this is 10 years now, going through all of the photographs. It's taken me years to go through it because it's so painful. Mm. And I'm separating them so that each kid has photos of themselves growing up, but also photos with their mom and photos, with, you know. So they have these sort of portfolios for yeah. the kids, but it's taken yeah. a very long time to do it because I, I, I like break down. Because, yes, because I miss her, but also because I'm so sad about the fact that my kids never had the opportunity to know her as well as I knew her. Um, but, I, I mean, I take solace in the fact that I have this incredible wife who's an amazing stepmother and that she has parented them like they're her own and that's a hard job especially when they're dealing with that loss yeah. you know because you're always dealing with that loss that loss never goes away it will never ever go away and like i said she's you know she's still in my dreams she's still and she's not very nice in my dreams either <laughs> which i hate like it's like i can't go for go for her that I, oh, I'm so happy that you're alive. You know, things like, I'm so happy you're alive. Mm. And then she's just sort of very dismissive and can't <laughs> wait to get away. Or, You know, I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Was there, obviously you would have been in a state of enormous grief and, and just trying to raise children, but was there ever a part of you that imagined one day you'd fall in love again? Or was that sort oh, of yeah. closed off? No, no, I, I thought I would, but I didn't think, I didn't think I'd get married so soon. And I didn't think that I would be with a younger person. I had no interest in being with a, a younger person. Because Felicity's about 20 years yeah, younger than Yeah, 21 years younger. Yeah. And it still causes me great anxiety. <laughs> Why is that? Because I don't want to be, well, I don't want to be old at all, but I don't want to be, 
you know, I don't want to be like she has to. I I don't want to be. I don't want her to have to take care of me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be eighty and she's sixty, which I'm almost sixty. That's just. And yet, a lot of people just don't care about that. She doesn't care. Yeah. A lot of people don't care about it. I really think that gap does close as you get older. Yeah. I guess it does. Yeah, it does. I guess. I can't. I was so thrilled when she started to go gray. I was <laughs> so happy. Because I was reading, she was not that much older than me when she met you. She was 33 when she met you, was she? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. for me, the thought of, you know, meeting a, a widower with three children. Mm. I feel nowhere near enough of a, a grown-up to, mm. to fall in love with that man and, and to take on that life. How has, And she did it. She yeah. had. Yeah, well, she, she's incredibly mature. Yeah. I mean, she has no neuroses. I've never met wow. anyone. Uh, she really has none. That's crazy. I'm like, I keep hoping maybe I'm going to find one. But she's very, again, she's incredibly practical. She's solid. And she just doesn't. She knew what she wanted, and and that was that. Mm. And I thought, and I tried to break up. I tried to leave her you because know, you were fearful of dragging her into dragging the her into. I was like, what do you be with me for? With you know, three kids, and it's really hard. It's hard. And but she was. I don't know. I guess she was in love. <laughs> I guess so. I guess she was. So then that was that. And listen, it's the best thing that ever happened. She's incredible. And what is it about? She's a good cook, too. Oh, is that what I was going to say? What is it about her that you fell in love with the cooking? Cooking, yeah. We (laughs) cook together, and that's so exciting. Food was the thing that really brought us together. Yeah, because I had met her. I had met her at the premiere of The Devil Wears Prada. And Kate was there, too. And I actually have a photograph of them together. Oh, how that lovely. Joanna and Fee's mom had taken. Mm. Um, and they talked for quite a while. They talked about books. They were both voracious readers. And and then I met her at M's wedding again. I was coming here to do a movie for the first time really being away from the kids. And I said, well, let's go, ahead. Let's go eat. And then we started eating, and then that was it. <laughs> we never stopped. <laughs> and you have two children together. Yes. And what ages are they? They're four. And... Mateo will be four soon in a couple of weeks. And Amelia is um, nine months, about nine months. And before we started recording, you, we were talking about the fact that you have this rather rakish sounding four-year-old who mm. sounds a bit like Noel Coward. He does. He does. <laughs> or Prince Harry or something. I, I, don't, I don't get it. How do you feel about having English kids? It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I, it's just really funny to me to hear this accent you know what i consider an accent and he doesn't even sound like fee and we can't she's sort of she's not posh but she's you know middle class well spoken yeah. middle class and he sounds like like i said it's like he goes to buckingham palace every night and gets some sort of elocution lessons or something he you know he says I t- oh, i'll tell the story because i, I like the, the story, story yes where he's looking for something in his playroom. We can't find it. We can't find it. And I said, well, I think I put it over there yesterday. And he's looking around, looking, getting very frustrated, puts his hands on his hips and says, well, I mean, it can't just have vanished. And he does sound like an old woman sometimes. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy. And you say something, you say, uh, Mateo, can you get the thing and put it over there? What did you say? 
I said, can you get the yogurt, get your yogurt and put it on the table because we have to, I want you to eat it. I'm not kidding. That's what he does. And I look at Fee, she just rolls her eyes. She's like, I don't know. I don't know. I said, Mateo, get the, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Don't you think that Millie is naughty? His sister. I said, no, I don't think she's naughty, Mateo. She's nine months old. She really isn't. He goes, well, she's naughty sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I love oh my the God, sound it's of Mateo. It's so funny. It's so Where funny. Where is it coming from, this I voice? I don't know. Do you have a posh nanny? No. No. She's Slovakian, <laughs> and she speaks English beautifully, but she doesn't. she's not posh. Another woman who works for us is from Hungary. I don't know where you'd oh, think you'd have a Hungarian accent or something. Is it your sister-in-law coming round and doing her best Mary Poppins? Maybe, maybe it is. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Spitball. Have you seen that film? Yes. Oh, I saw yeah. it last night, Stanley. Oh, you did. I think it's the best film I've ever seen. Oh, she's incredible. I just bawled yeah. throughout the whole thing. I found it so moving. I know it's really. moving. I actually was thinking about you when I was watching it because I knew I was interviewing you today, and I was thinking of you with that song with Ben Whishaw. Oh, my God. Well, that's the thing, is that we go to the... Emily had organized a screening for us quite a while ago. So the two, my two older kids were at university. They couldn't go. So my 16-year-old, Camilla, came. And we're with Em's family and Fee. And, and so the movie starts. And then it's all that. Your mother's dead, mm. right? Her name was Kate, if I'm not Christ, mistaken. yeah. Yeah, it was Kate. And then he sings that song. It was really tough. It well, was ben, tough. ben Whishaw's character, as you said, he plays the kind of grown-up Michael and he's a widow. And the, and the bit that really got me in that song is he's singing a song to his late wife. And the bit that I just found so moving is he says something along the lines of, I'm butchering the lyrics, but something along the lines of, I wish you were here when one of my kids asked questions. I don't have the answers. You always had the answers. And I could, I really wish that you were here to help me comb my daughter's hair. I don't know how mm -hmm. to comb my daughter's hair. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was wondering if, if you felt that those kind of gaps in parenting. Of course you do. And what you have to do is you have to, you have to take on the other person's personality. Mm -hmm. Because we marry, for the most part, we marry our opposite in a way, in so many ways. And I found myself having, now I was very lucky to have a lot of people helping me. My family might, you know, had a lot of people. But still, ultimately, you're the one that yeah. they want yeah. and that they need. And I found myself taking on aspects of Kate's personality mm. in order to help them through, in order to help me through. Yeah. Because if I were just to behave like me, it wouldn't really be, be enough. enough. It wouldn't be enough. Yeah. And I even found, when I took them all to Italy, which is where, when I went to Em's wedding, as it turns out, I just happened to be in Italy at that time. And, and I remember I, ha I had her purse. I carried her purse with me. She had this black sort of little knapsack mm. thing. And I carried it with me. And I put stuff in it that I knew they would need every day. And the mother usually carries. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the kids would go, Dad, why are you walking around with that? I go, because I can fit all the stuff in it that mm. I have to fit in it, mm. you know? I suppose and it's a reminder as well to, to, to remember to be that person to them as well. Yeah. And that I, yeah, to literally take that 
physical thing with me yeah. and stock it the way she stocked it yeah. with water and sun cream and mm. whatever. And it seems like you are a very hands-on father, father of five. Mm-hmm. How do you balance having this huge career with being a very hands-on father? Well, you just do it. I mean, you just have to do it. You know, like this morning, you know, it's it's what everybody does, I think. You wake up in the morning and, you, you know, Fee had to get ready. She had to go to an early meeting today, so... I take the baby. She had already changed the baby and given her a bottle. So then I get up, I take her downstairs, and I organize the kitchen, which is something I can never stop doing. And then, you know, she's crawling around. You're just making sure she's not crawling out the window or mm-hmm. crawling, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then Mateo comes downstairs, and you give him breakfast, and you, you know, he whatever. He smokes his cigar. He smokes his cigar, yeah. He takes off his smoking jacket. <laughs> You know, <laughs> asks for his plate of potter. And he, you know, and then you're just kind of making, you know, carrying around the baby and doing the thing. You're trying to make yourself something to eat or whatever. And then I made her little food and fed her. And I'm lucky to have people who help, mm. you know. But on the weekend, you know, it's just me and Fee. And, mm. and, I, and I always like to be home and cook dinner. I love it, though. I really, really love it. And when I find myself, I was recently in Vancouver for three weeks, and I wasn't working that much. And I f- start to go crazy. Just craving home routine Yeah, yeah but I don't have anybody to cook for. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I really like doing that. And I really like the company. Of course, then when you're home, and you finally get a moment, and as soon as you go to sit down and read the book, you hear, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> And what's it like, you know, the first time that you were doing the bottles and you were putting the baby to bed was 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And you're no, doing no, it was more than that. More than that. Yeah, it was almost 20 years ago. And you're doing it again now. What's that like? What's the experience of fatherhood like now compared to doing it much younger? I'm much more relaxed now. I'm much more relaxed because you've seen it all. Yeah. Also because I had stepchildren and then my kids and then... So I've seen all of it. Yeah. So you're not, I can change a diaper very quickly. And it's, it, everything isn't incredibly important. You know, it's just like we talked about with acting. It's not, everything isn't the be all and end all. If he watches a little too much TV today, it's okay. It's okay. We'll play a memory game tomorrow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's okay. If he has the donut, it's fine. We'll make sure tomorrow he doesn't have a donut. You know, it's it's all right. It's okay. As long as they know you love them and they're safe, that's all that matters. Mm. That's all that matters. You have to give them this great, strong foundation. Mm. Everything else is it's up to them. Looking at the beautiful kind of family photos in your cookbook and the stories that I hear about your own childhood and the way you describe your home life, it seems like a, a, a kind of happy, solid domestic life is a huge part of not only your existence but your identity. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know, you know, this is even more admirable, I think, when you think about, when you consider the hardships that your family has been through. Mm. And I wanted to know, with all your experience, what do you think makes a happy home and, and happy children and, and happy parents? 
and communication. I think that's the key thing. If you let, and, and this is coming from a guy who isn't always the best communicator, certainly with my, with, in my marriage. I am with kids, but not so much. I'm getting better now. But to me, particularly with children, is that you have to communicate with them. And you can't be afraid to ask them questions. And really, really importantly for kids is you can't be afraid to say no. Mm. Just say no. If you don't want them to do it, don't let them do it. There's nothing wrong with saying no. I think it's a really, really important thing. They're going to get a lot of no's when they go out into the real world. Totally. But it's really important so you know what's simply what's wrong and what's right, what's going to hurt, what's not going to hurt. And I saw, I have seen a lot of parents where they just don't say no. And you're like, well, no wonder why your kid is like a fucking nightmare, you know? It's horrifying. Who wants to be with that person? You know? I believe in manners. I believe in sit up straight, eat your food, don't use your hands, you know? Why are you putting your hands in your water? I mean, this is gross. What are you doing? Don't do that, you know? Not like, oh, it's okay, do that. No, actually don't do that. Mm. It's disgusting. Mm. Okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's just a little. No, it's gross. Stop yeah. it. Yeah. So I think, but I think communication is the key thing. And I think, the, and the parents have to communicate too. And the parents, have, because the kids know everything from a very early age. They know instinctively what's going on between adults. And that's all I would say. And, 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 you know, like I said, they just have to know that you love them. It, it's unconditional, but there are conditions. <laughs> Stanley Tucci, thank you so much for telling me your love stories. Oh, thank you for asking. It's been a great pleasure, real pleasure. Thank you for listening to Love Stories. You can rate, review and subscribe on iTunes to give the series a boost and help others find it. And you can buy my book, Everything I Know About Love, published by Fig Tree, which is out in paperback on the 7th of February with a brand new bonus chapter, Everything I Know at 30. You can find my book in Waterstones, on Amazon and in all good bookshops, or buy the audiobook with the bonus chapter on Audible. Love Stories is recorded in the Penguin Studio in London. The music was composed and recorded by Lauren Benstead. Tune in next week when another guest will be telling me their love stories. <laughs>